Hello, beautifuls. Welcome back to another episode of Her Sexual Space Podcast. I am your host, Janice Leonard, licensed professional counselor and sex therapist here in Texas and Colorado. We are back. Before we get into this episode, I would like to just state this disclaimer. These episodes are not therapy. While some of these conversations are happening between therapists, counselors, and other professionals, these are not therapeutic sessions. So this podcast does not substitute for a relationship with your own mental health and sexual health professionals. And while we might be hitting on some relevant topics, we cannot speak to the intricate details of your life. This episode is sponsored by Simple Practice. Running a private practice is rewarding, but it can also be demanding. Simple Practice changes that. This practice management solution helps you focus on what's most important, your clients. By simplifying the business side of the private practice, like billing, scheduling, and even marketing, Stick around for a special offer at the end of this episode. We have a beautiful, wonderful Rihanna Webster. Miss Webster is the co-founder of Shore Refinement, an organization designed to help young women create self-love, self-beliefs, and self-worth within themselves. She holds a Bachelor of Science degree in Rehabilitation Counseling with a minor in Psychology. Her life's purpose is to inspire women to become the greatest versions of themselves. In her upcoming book, make tomorrow proud of today, she reassures the reader that we all have obstacles in life, but it's how we respond to those obstacles that matter. I am so excited to have Brianna on the podcast today. Welcome to the podcast, Brianna. Hi, good morning, good morning. Good morning, such a pleasure to have you today. How are you feeling this morning? I am feeling great. Um, Got my incense burning here. Uh, Ooh. Water. Just finished a morning run. So, yeah. Oh you are gold. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you so much for inviting, um, well, accepting the invitation to be on the podcast. I feel like we've been LinkedIn pen pals for the longest while. <laughs> <laughs> but LinkedIn is legit. Like I've made so many good relationships, you know, yeah. LinkedIn, so hey. And I, I look forward to meeting you in person because we live in Dallas Metroplex area and um, we've just been talking and I, I can't even remember how we connected, um, but I know you've been one of my contacts and we've just, we have a long chain of conversations. We that... do. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. We do. Yeah, so we're, we're been, we've been pen pals. So I look forward to meeting you and um, going for a run um, for sure with you sometime. So yeah, welcome to the podcast. And I just want you to share with our listeners um, how you identify in the world, how you show up, how people see you, how do you see yourself. Um, share some of that with us. 
Yeah. So um, I guess, let's see, how do I find myself? I'm a single lady, 34 years old, woman, pronoun, she, her, and I don't know really what else to say. I'm a, an encourager, a speaker, and I just have a passion for, you know, helping young women. Yeah. Uh, you said speaker. I'm hearing author, CEO, personal development yes. coach, game changer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah how, how did that passion uh, start for you? And of course, we'll maybe go into the book later on. Where did all of that start for you? Oh, you know what? I think like as far as helping people, like that's that's been something that I've 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 loved doing since I was young. Um, and I tell the story, you know, it's funny, like a lot of the times when you're young, you know how they say that you'll change your your career path or what you want to pursue like about three or four times before you actually start to do what it is that you enjoy doing. But honestly, um, I've always known like that I wanted to be in therapy or counseling or psychology of some sort. Um, even in my mom will tell you like, it's so funny when I was in the fifth grade, she stumbled across this folder that I had at home and it was titled The Hookup Crew. So what I had done in the fifth grade, I had basically hired some of my friends. And what I did was I taught them how to interview people. And so what we did was mm. when people um, liked someone, they would go to the people that I hired and um, they knew how to like ask the questions like, OK, well, you know, who do you like? Why do you like them? What class is he in? Blah, 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 blah. Um, and then once they would <laughs> gather that information, it's so funny though. And then when they would gather that information, mm -hmm. they would bring the, the person to me and I would do some further assessment. <laughs> and then I'd be like, okay, oh cool. Goodness. I know it's so funny. It's so, I was like, okay, cool. Um, let's see, you like, Brad and Brad is in Miss Shepherd's class. And Miss Shepherd's class is typically leaving lunch when we're coming into lunch. And so here's what we're going to do when they're going and throwing their uh, stuff away in the trash can, you're going to meet me at the trash can and I'm going to connect y'all. And so, <laughs> I, you know, like it's so funny, but it's like that's literally where it started. Like I've always had a passion mm -hmm. for helping people, like listening for the problem and then how can I be a resource to help them? And mm -hmm. so, um, you know, just as life has happened and I've had my own traumas in life and I've overcome those traumas, I've still never lost the desire to share with mm -hmm. people the resources that I have gained. And so, yeah, just mm -hmm. helping people, that's just been something that's just inherent in me. I, I love that. I love that. Such a beautiful startup story there. <laughs> yeah, well, thanks for sharing that. You know, I can relate to some of that. Um, in high mm -hmm. school, I was a peer helper and our mission was to connect with our peers. So people who are not interested in, in counseling, um, they would talk with their peers if there was an issue. So I was one mm -hmm. of that. And oh, wow. um it wasn't until when I started pursuing my master's degree that I, I remembered where that seed came from. Cause I mean, I don't know, apparently this was already there. And although like you talked about, we often go through a few career paths or decisions before we come to what we were designed for. Um, I mean, I can say the same because I, 
started off with business accounting. And not to say that it was a waste of time. I mean, now that I'm running yeah. a business, um, I have seen how all of that has come together. Um, so I started in accounting and business and marketing, business management. And then I finally came to, um, I also did some customer service roles um, before I, I started my master's degree. So I feel like all of it has come together. Um, yeah. But I feel like that seed had been there and everything that I worked myself through brought me to this point. So I'm glad, I'm glad that, you know, you were <laughs> able to stick to that, you know, stick to yeah. your, your core beliefs and those values. So yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. So in, in the midst of all of that, you I mean, shared your story. I really enjoyed your TED Talk on the imposter syndrome. So Brianna, how do you define imposter syndrome? For someone who might be hearing this for the first time, um, how do you break that down? Yeah, so the definition that I always use, I just use it from the progenitors of imposter syndrome, which are psychologists Pauline Clance and Suzanne Imes. Um, they were the ones who termed the, the term imposter syndrome, um, well, actually imposter phenomenon um, in their study back in 1978. So I always stick with that definition. Um, and their definition of imposter syndrome is that it is an internal feeling of intellectual phoniness where despite academic and professional accomplishments, one still believes that they are not bright and that they fooled anyone who thinks otherwise. So basically, you know, these are super successful people, but they still feel as like they're not deserving of the accolades. Even though the proof is there, they still feel like they're not deserving of it. And I have, I have certainly felt that the first time I encountered the, the term was actually in... I feel like I've heard it before, but I, I don't think like I ever had to really process it. <laughs> and I think it was um, in, in grad school as we were getting ready to do our role plays and getting ready for practicum. That's when it came up a lot because as, I mean, we did the work <laughs> and part of, you know, just getting a master's degree in, in counseling psych, um, we had to go out there and get the practice, you know, get those hours before we can actually become licensed. So that's actually when it came up and um, I really started to think about how it had showed up in, in my life. Yeah. But anyway, we'll, we'll get into that a little later. But how did, how did it show up for you? You know, of course, I listened to your TED Talk and mm -hmm. oh my God, that was, that was so amazing. Um, I yeah. love how, how deep you went with it. I mean, there's so many gems in there and I share it. <laughs> Um, I've watched it a few times, actually. Uh -huh. um, so share with me, like how, or share with our audience, for those who haven't seen it, um, how were you able to to maybe work with your imposter syndrome? Yeah. Um, so I guess, you know, maybe first speaking to like how I discovered it, you know, for, for myself. And, you know, it's kind of funny because, you know, I heard you mention that, you know, your first maybe so acknowledgement of it was in grad school. And, you know, that's kind of how it happened for me. Um, in reverse, I was chatting with one of my little cousins. Um, she's 10 years younger than me. She's in grad school right now. And so she was just talking about, you know, in her cohort 
of the program that she's in, you know, she's the only, she just graduated from college and then, you know, she went right into grad school. And, um, but she was like everyone else in her cohort, they're like successful people, you know, they have businesses or they're already established in their careers. And so she was just talking and she was like, I don't know. I just, I feel like my imposter is coming out of me, you know, and she'd be like, blah, 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 blah. Cause I don't feel like I'm worthy enough, but maybe that's just my imposter speaking. And, you know, I'm a great listener. And so I'm just listening and I'm like, okay, okay. And then finally I was like, wait, what, what is this imposter you're talking about? Cause I had never heard of it. And, um, she was like, you've never heard of imposter syndrome. And I was like, no. And so Oh my God, she started to break down what imposter syndrome was. And I just remember like, you could, it was like it was, I was just frozen in time because as she was explaining to me what imposter syndrome was, I was like, oh my gosh, I did not realize that there was a term connected with this. And it's so funny because I thought about that. And and the ironic thing is that when she introduced me to the term, I had just left a leadership conference and at the leadership conference, there were a couple of hundred people present and my name was actually mentioned at the leadership conference about some of the things I had been doing good. And they were like, you know, so if you're in a, during a break and you have time to reach out to these people, um, reach out to them and ask them how they've done what they've done. And at that leadership conference, again, my name was mentioned and all that stuff. But as we were coming home and we were driving home from this leadership conference, I remember telling a good friend of mine, I was like, people always say that they see this in me and they see all of these great qualities in me. And I said, and I just feel like the word I used was literally poser. And this is before I knew what imposter syndrome was. And she was like, really? And I was like, yeah, I said, I, I just feel like, you know, I, I have the ability to just put on this this facade for people to where they think that, you know, I'm good at being a leader, where they think I'm good at being a speaker and all that stuff, but I'm really not that good at it. And so, you know, even in my talk, you know, I, I said a line about, you know, I feel like I do a good job living up to people's beliefs, knowing that I don't truly live up to their beliefs. And so, um, when my cousin told me about imposter syndrome, I I went home that night and I like, no lie, Janice, just started researching imposter syndrome and I started pulling up other TEDx talks and looking at research, looking at articles. And ever since then, I've been like, wow, this defines who I am and I've got to share this with more people. <laughs> So thank you to your cousin. <laughs> I know, right? Like seriously, thank Shout you out so to her. much. <laughs> yeah. And um, let's talk maybe about the onset. So, you know, of course, you know, the, the, the podcast is Get Towards Women. Let's talk about how this begins in, in us. Yeah. And so even, um, again, when the studies were first done by psychologists, Pauline Clintz and Susan Imes, they, their study was focused on women um, because they saw that it was affecting women at a higher rate than it was men. So even throughout their study, it's mainly focused on, well, it's all focused on women. And so when they did their study, they found something out. They found that um, you fall into two categories as it relates to imposter syndrome. And 
I just kind of termed them inferior and superior. Mm -hmm. And so what they found was that you can either have the onset of imposter syndrome by one, your childhood is, you know, your your praise for everything that you do growing up. And so the family conveys that, you know, you are superior in every single way and intellect, personality, appearance, talents, like there's nothing that you cannot do. And and you do it with ease, right? And, you know, in the family member's eyes, you are perfect. But what happens is that that child grows up, you know, hearing that feedback from their loved ones of how perfect they are. They make no mistakes, you know, all this type of stuff. But then when they enter into school, they start to experience failures. They start to realize that something, some task may come a little bit um, harder than, you know, how they've always just been, you know, portrayed by their mother or father, that everything comes to them easily and all that stuff. And so what happens is that they start to distrust what their parents' perceptions of them are. Now they begin to doubt themselves because they're like, oh my gosh, my parents have praised me and and, and told me all of these things growing up. And now that I'm entering school age and I'm starting to experience that there are people that are equally as great as me. There are people that are, you know, smarter than me. So is what my parents really taught me, is that really true? So that is where that doubt starts to generate from in the superior way. And then they said the other option is the inferior, which is basically the complete opposite of that. What they have done is that your family, your mother, father, someone, they constantly compare you to someone else who is typically closer in age in in your family. So it could be a cousin or a brother or a sister. But basically what they do is they deem that other person as the intelligent one and you are deemed as the not so smart one. And it's no matter what you do, even if, you know, you come back and your grades are higher than the one that they are comparing you against, they still put you in the inferior light um, saying that, you know, you're just, you just don't have what it takes to equal up to, to Bob, you know? And so what happens is that, again, when this person enters into school age, this is the opportunity for them to try to prove to their family that they are bright. And so what happens is that they start to succeed. They start obtaining outstanding grades, academic honors, and acclaims from teachers, um, hoping that that will make them feel good about themselves and to disprove, you know, their family members wrong. Um, but that's where that starts too. The the imposter phenomenon emerges from them is because now they feel like, okay, I I have to work harder. I have to be smarter at everything um, just to prove my intellectual competence to my family, even though they still don't believe that, you know, I have what it takes compared to Bob. Wow. And I had so many flashbacks <laughs> as you shared that because that is so real. And although, you know, I don't want to talk about myself yet, but I see this happens a lot, especially when working with teens who are transitioning from mm. high school into college. And a lot of the the young adolescents that 
sometimes don't survive college, it's because that transition was difficult in terms of the anxiety they felt or the depression. Like, yeah, in, in high school, I was the most outstanding. I did all of this, but now I'm being almost matched up to all of these other outstanding people. And even before they start, there is that almost self-sabotage that I, I yeah. cannot do it. And yeah. um, I think a lot of time that's that's what shows up, especially when they've been praised. But, but I wonder when it's coming from that superior lens, how do we work with that? I know you work with several clients. I don't know if you work with mm-hmm. teen girls. How do you work with that? Yeah, you know, and so coming from the superior lens, because that was actually my story, you know, I'm the only child and, you know, <laughs> I always <laughs> joke and tell people I'm like, the, the it's the the amount of love that my mom loves me is almost sickening. Like when I think about just how much she loves me, like, oh, like, okay, mama, that's like a little bit too much love. But, you know, mm-hmm. I came from that superior light where even now to this day, anything that I say I'm going to do, my mom is behind me 100%. <laughs> She's like, oh, you're going to be the best at it. I can't wait till you, you know, blow up and blah, blah, blah. And it, and it just sets the bar so high, right? Mm-hmm. But um, one thing that I can say for me that has worked, and, and, and this is how I, you know, work with um, the ladies that, that I work with as well, is that, and we'll talk about this later, is that you have to focus on the facts, you know? Um, and so I'll give you an example. Um, I've always been a pretty good writer, or let me say, I've always been a good writer, right? Um And the facts are that the reason why I can say that I've been a good writer is that, you know, growing up in school, like in fourth and fifth grade, my teachers would always say, hey, do you mind if I read your story aloud? Because you almost got a perfect score on your top. Back then for us, it was a toss test when we had to do our... um, testing, our final testing at the Mm -hmm. end of the year. And then when I entered into college, my instructors would come to me and say, hey, do you mind if I read your writings out to the class? Because it's a perfect example of what I'm trying to convey for the students to capture in their writings. Or growing up, I would always win essays. You know, when I would submit essays and there were contests, I would win the essay contest. And so fast forward to now, you know, as I am working on writing my first book, I have those doubts that come in and I'm like, dang, do I really have what it takes to be a great writer? Do I, do I, am I really deserving of, you know, writing this book? But what I have to do is I have to step back and I have to look at the facts of those things. And so I, you know, it's like, okay, these are the facts you've won this, 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 all of these accolades for your writing. You've had English professors who, you know, studied in English, said, you know, you have a really great way and a flow of writing. And so I think one of the things for the superior is that even when we do doubt ourselves or we feel like, okay, you know, our parents have just um, magnified our abilities and our skills. It's like, don't necessarily downplay that so much and actually look at the facts and that'll help you then determine like, okay, no, I am on the right track. Yeah, I love that. I love that. So looking at the facts, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, I just, I feel like it helps you, you know what I'm saying? Like put mm -hmm. things into perspective. Yeah. Where, and and, and it takes that emotion out of, Mm -hmm. of you feeling like, oh, I'm not worthy enough. And it's like, no, I am worthy enough. And here's why. Yeah. 
Yeah, the mm-hmm. track record shows. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I find myself in the childhood inferior, mostly because okay. I I was the first born for my parents. Um, however, they were not prepared to be parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, so therefore, I was the shed child. I don't think anyone thought much of me, really. Um, I think when I started to believe in myself, um, it was my, I think we would call it middle school here, but it was one of my primary school teachers. And if she ever listens to this, it was Miss Napoleon. And she really advocated for me um, in terms of, because back in, in the Caribbean, St. Lucia, we would take a common entrance exam to move on to secondary school, which is high school, equivalent to high school here. Mm-hmm. But you had to take an exam, which would place you into one of the top schools. And I think now they try to level them all out. But I think back then it was, if you had this highest score, you go to this school and well, no, and according to whatever else you get. So she was the one who really advocated for me. I don't think, I don't feel like my parents, they didn't know me well enough to really have a say in what I would do, how I'd perform. But I did have an aunt, um, Auntie Mary, if she's listening to this, who really pushed and helped me. And we had a very secure relationship. So I think that helped me too. So I still have a lot to say. I didn't have, so like you, who had a mom who was cheering you on and believed so much in you. I didn't have that. And I think for me, what has really pushed me to this point is having, I think, that internal drive, you know, and I, and I don't know if yeah. it's to prove them wrong, which is something I'm trying to explore <laughs> in my own therapy right now. Yeah. But I feel like I had to, uh, and I don't like to, you know, and I know there's all of these different categories of imposter syndrome things. Um, I'm not so much of the soloist. I, I mean, I asked for help. I always had some form of support along the way, mm-hmm. but it wasn't to the point where I, I don't know. I, I don't always feel like I had like, <laughs> you know, just like a cheerleading squad behind me always. Yeah. <laughs> so I definitely feel like the inferior part does speak to the experience. Um, that I've had. Yeah. Know, and and I wonder, you know, if some of our listeners could relate to to some of that, you know. And I think they can. Um, because it's funny that you say that. And uh just talking about your experience in education, and it is that is why as an educator, you know, teachers are so pivotable to our children's lives. And Mm -hmm. time and time after again is that even though the studies talk about, you know, the seed is planted in childhood from either being the inferior or the superior, but you don't really experience the awareness of it most oftentimes until you enter school. Mm -hmm. And there are so many stories out there of people who have talked about you know, a particular teacher said something hurtful that helped to magnify that imposter syndrome. Because yes, it's definitely rooted everything, you know, when we talk about therapy and just working on ourselves, everything kind of is rooted back into childhood. So when you go back, it's like, okay, it stems from this and here's why. Mm-hmm. But um, they, a lot of people talk about school and how an instructor impacted, you know, their lives, whether it was a comment like, for you, it was a positive comment where they really inspired mm-hmm. you 
to be like, okay, you can do more. But a lot of times people have talked about, you know, in school settings where they've had an instructor say something that just helped to magnify their imposter syndrome. And so I think that it's really important um, as as we're working with our children to really be careful on our words, but also teaching this Mm -hmm. balance of like, you're not the greatest, right? (laughs) But making them feel, but but not making them feel inferior either. So how do you find that balance? And I think something that we'll get into probably a little bit further in the talk is you have to train children up in a way to where they're, it's okay to embrace failures. You know, mm-hmm. it's okay not to be the best at everything. Yeah. It's okay not to win everything because that is where my imposter syndrome came in. I think is because I was always praised for everything. I felt like I had to to produce at that level in everything that I do. Um, But we have to, as we are teaching our children, teach them that there is a balance. And, you know, one of my mentors always says that he doesn't put his kids in sports that don't keep score, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, because he's like, he wants his sons to learn and understand that there is such thing as failure and you don't learn, you know, like we're not putting them um, in a realistic expectations by just saying, hey, Mm -hmm. you know, everyone's going to win. We're not going to take score. Everyone's going to win. You're just going to play for 45 minutes. Or even for me, (laughs) one of the things that I do for fun is I ref volleyball on the side. And, you know, I will will work a tournament and then we'll be like in the bronze C bracket, which means there's a bronze bracket. And then there's the C level of these teams. And then they all still get awards, you know? And so it's Mm -hmm. funny because the refs will always laugh and say, well, everybody gets an award. So there's really no loser here, you know? And it's not, it's (laughs) not using loser in a bad word, but losing, it's, it's okay to say, you know, that you that that you've lost, you know, because one of the things that that I always tell the ladies that I work with is that failure is just is just data on how you can get it right, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I use that yeah. word a lot. This is yeah. data. This is yeah, right, data. right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And even as you 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 brought sports up, I was just thinking of my my son. So recently. He tried out for basketball for the first time. Um, the, the season starts in the winter, and he didn't make the team. But he told me, you know, he got the manager position, and I was like, "Well, that's great. You know, you can be a great manager. Um, stick with it." And one of the things we're doing, he gets to practice with the team. So I'm like, "Yeah, practice with the team. You know, see if that's something you want to do." Because to for me too, when it comes to sports, I I don't have. I don't feel like that has to be your ticket. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, I want it to be something you enjoy, something you want to do for fun. And I get it. There are great scholarships and great opportunities that can come out of it. But I want him to also just enjoy that part of growing yeah. up, you know. And of course, he he likes it. And I, I asked him how he felt about it. And he wasn't sad. He's like, I'm okay. I, I You know, he's going to be a manager. And I asked him, what does that job entail and what it's going to mm. do? And, you know, he has a little schedule, (laughs) you know, some afternoons he has to be there later and some mornings he has to go in earlier. So we can work with that. I never want him to feel like um, this is the end all be all. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 
And then yeah. there's some things he's going to be good at. I, I mean, academics is great. Um, you know, he can try out sports. And if that's not his thing, that's right. not his thing. Yeah. So that's kind of how I'm shaping mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. <laughs> in, in my home. Yeah. So let's talk about uh, personal life. So how does, you know, how does that, how does that manifest in, in, in different areas of life? So I guess we can start with personal life. Yeah. Um, so for personal life, um, the way that it can manifest is that you're never content with with who you are. You know, like I think as far as, you know, we never want to be content in terms of, you know, progressing and growing personally. But mm-hmm. um, personally with imposter syndrome, you're just never content with with who you are as a person. You know, you you always yeah. feel like you constantly have something to prove and you're always seeking validation through your efforts. And you're seeking validation from everyone, you know? And oftentimes for us women, we find ourselves seeking validation from men, right? I mean, you know, that's really just the truth of things. And so one of the things that, I always talk about is that we need to start doing self-introspection on ourselves. We need to look at the lies that we tell ourselves and where those lies, like where everything stems from. Does it stem from the inferior childhood or does it stem from the superior childhood? And so I think that imposter syndrome, um, I don't think people understand just like how big and like how much it can have an impact on your life. I think a lot of times people just think that it can have an impact on you professionally, but um, it can show up in different areas of your life and definitely in your personal life. It's because you're always, always feeling like you have something to prove because of the lies that you've told yourself for years and years that, you know, you don't belong, you're not worthy of this. Um, you're always in a constant battle with yourself and that can get exhausting. <laughs> and I can see how that could be a really fine line. So when you talk about validation, what does that look like? Um, you know, I wonder what is a healthy part of that? Because I'm constantly asking myself that too. Because the thing is, I'm a sharer, you know, when I'm doing something amazing, something fun, if I'm traveling, um, if I hit a, an accomplishment, a milestone, I share like, you know, and, and a lot of that too is I'm away from my family. So one way to just share the news is to either show it on um, Facebook or share something on Instagram. So yes. that's kind of what I do. I try not to overshare. I mean, with the podcast, maybe I overshare a little. <laughs> I, I try to connect But that's what we people. do on podcasts. But, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I also want to find a healthy balance. I mean, I am... Um, I use humor in everything. I like to think of myself as fun bubbly when it comes to how I connect with the world and just what I'm doing. But I want that to be in a healthy manner and not to the point where I'm seeking validation constantly, you know, because that's not my intent. (laughs) So I wonder what would you say is a healthy, what does that look like on a healthy level? Um, in terms of seeking validation, I think, um, and this is something that that I've had to work on myself, is that check your intent behind what you're doing. Um, so, for example, when I when I did my TEDx talk, um, at first I was just so nervous because I was like, "Well, 
what if people, you know, I was talking to my spiritual advisor and I was like, well, what if people say it's just a simple lesson that I, that I spoke on? What if they say, you know, it didn't really have any like in-depth stuff and blah, blah, blah. And she said, what is your intent? What are, what are you asking for from this TEDx talk? And I was like, well, my intent is that the people who need to receive this lesson will receive it. And she said, then that should be your only concern. You know, you shouldn't seek validation from um, people's feedback. You, people, people's opinions shouldn't validate you. What should validate you is your intent and your reason behind doing something. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that, you know what I'm saying? Like that, that takes away the stress. Like if, if, if you're helping someone because your heart is genuine and you want to help them and you're not seeking validation, you, you don't care if they, they, they posted on Facebook that, that you, um, you know, gave them $500. What's validating for you is your intent behind that was to bless someone else. And that's really all that you need to, to live by. I absolutely love that. And not to say feedback is, is terrible. I mean, I embrace, especially with doing the absolutely. podcast, I get feedback all the time and I, I embrace that. But at the core, I think, first of all, I tell myself that I am not for everybody. Mm-hmm. And that's how I am approaching this stage of life right now. Yeah. I am not for everybody. The people who need me will find me. The people who relate to me will find me. And that's even my approach in business too. Yeah. So even in my my practice, I do consultations because I'm not for everybody. Mm-hmm. Some people will ask me and I'm like, I I I don't think, you know, We're I don't think, you know, I can help you back, <laughs> but I can guide yeah. you. Yeah. I can guide you in finding someone um, who could best work with X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. So I think for me at the core, I tell myself that. I'm not for everybody, yeah. but some people can relate to me. Some people can vibe with me and, and that's what I look for. That's what I, I stick to. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. yeah so we talk about personal life. Um, let's explore those other areas. Yeah, so for me, <laughs> I, I, I talk about three different areas in which imposter syndrome mm-hmm. can show up and it can show up in other areas too, but I kind of stick to three. Um, and so I have personal life, society, and relationships. And so uh, we talked a little bit about personal life, but even society, you know, um, from adolescence, we talked about just in childhood and, and in education, um, how, how much of an impact that our teachers have on us. But also, again, just what things are instilled on us through education. You know, um, we talked about embracing the failures in society. You know, nowadays, some sports that your kids are growing up in, they're not taking scores. Um, most sports yes. now, everyone gets a medal. You know, like I said, yeah, I'm working on a participation trophy. Exactly, right? <laughs> it's so, yeah, it's funny to me. It's so funny to me. Uh, but, you know, like I said, I'm working a bronze C bracket tournament and there's, there's a, a first place, second place, third place prize for people in a bronze C bracket, you know? And so um, what are we teaching our kids though? We're not, we're not teaching them balance. We're not teaching them how to embrace their failures. And, you know, something that I really enjoyed about you sharing about your son not making the basketball team is that is a beautiful lesson in itself because again, society, how it's trained us is that 
you know, we talk about, or I was reading a study and it was just talking about how when boys fail, boys are taught, it's okay, try again. You know, you're going to keep trying. Don't give up. Keep trying, you know. But when little girls fail, you know, we give them a pat on the back. We buy them their favorite ice cream and we're like, it's okay. What else do you want to try? You can try something else, (laughs) you know, and and the words try again, never come up Mm -hmm. to the little girl. And so Mm -hmm. to me, what that tells me is that we're placing a ceiling on our little girls, but taking the cap off for our little boys. You know, and so then, of course, when we're adults and when we enter the workforce and when we enter other parts of our life, then why wouldn't we as women not feel, you know, intimidated by our male counterparts? It's because we've always had that ceiling placed on us, you know, since we were little girls, opposed to little boys who are like, hey, keep trying because failure is just data to get to where you want. But little girls, we're, we're, we're looked at as like failure is the end all be all. And um, mm. there's someone who said uh, by the name of Louise Wise, and he said, um, men are taught to apologize for their weaknesses and women are taught to apologize for their strengths. And so again, that's putting that lid on us is that we can't be these powerful women. You know, we can't have it all, you know, because the reality is that what does society teach us? Society teaches us that for women, we can't have it all. We can either be extremely successful in our careers or we can have a family, but we have to choose which one of those that we want. Whereas for men, men can have it all. They can have that job and be highly successful in that job. And they can have that family. So what society teaches us as women is it teaches us how to play small. And so, you know, and then even more things about society, uh, just emotional expression. You know, think about if a woman is, um, she gets overly exerted and emotional um, on a topic at work, then she's deemed as, oh, she's so emotionally sensitive or she's emotionally unstable. But if a man reacts that same way about the same situation, then he's deemed as, oh, he's passionate about what he does, you know? And so, yeah, yeah, and and, and there's just so many different missing parts to it that that how society Mm -hmm. affects us, Um, you know, just the gender roles, right? Women are supposed to be the homemaker. Um, We're supposed to take on several different tasks. And we're supposed to always, always, always put ourselves last. Because for women, we are nurturers. For women, we are providers. For women, we are healers, you know? And so that is where another piece of imposter syndrome comes in, is that as women, we know all of the energy that we exer- we're we exerting to be the provider. We know all the energy that we're exerting to, to be the comforter, to be the listener, to be the therapist, to be the doctor. <laughs> and But we also know internally what we're lacking. And so that's why we feel like we're an imposter because we're like, I'm doing all of this, but I'm doing it drained. I'm doing all of this, yeah. but I'm doing it tired. I'm doing all of this, but I need someone to, you know, show me the same energy that I'm showing other people. And so mm-hmm. I think too, like 
that's where a piece of imposter syndrome comes from as well. And then the third part of that is just relationships. You know, in imposter syndrome, you don't see yourself, you know, and a lot of times we feel like our partners, our roles, our achievements um, will complete us and validate who we are. Um, and again, just talking about the authenticity, um, we, we, we can never be authentic in relationships um, because we're almost darn near afraid to show up as our authentic selves. So what happens as women is that we mirror what's given to us instead of embracing our power, playing big and allowing people to meet us where we are and acknowledge our greatness. Because again, we're taught as women to put us put a cap on things. We're taught as women to seal in. We're taught as women to play small. But we've got to learn, even in relationships, to stop playing down to people's level and allow them to meet us where we are. And we have to start seeing ourselves, seeing our greatness. Um, and the thing is, other people will always see the imposter's potential and greatness before they do. And oftentimes, the sad reality is that the imposter will never see their greatness. And that's why one of my favorite lines of my TEDx talk that I talked about imposter syndrome is that, why is it that all the things that people say are amazing about me are invisible to me. And so that's something that we've got to work with on people who experience imposter syndrome is getting you to see yourself. Sorry, I was like, I know I went on a lot about that, but I'm like, I'm so passionate about it. <laughs> oh no. Oh my God. This is <laughs> this is rich. This is rich. And um, you know, and that's a journey I've been on, you know, like I said, coming from the childhood inferior. Um, that has showed up, you know. I've had some of I've felt some of those limitations and um, and like I said, I'm I'm always reassessing and evaluating um, just my intent, right? And, and the different projects I take on and the things that I want to do. And, and even my relationship, I think I've come a long way in how I show up in, in my relationships and how I define and negotiate and, you know, really speak up for what I want my relationships to look like. Um, I think it's, it's, yeah. it's really a journey, you know, and how long, and I know you work with several, um, you have several different services and programs. How long does it take someone to really process and or how long does it take to see some change and how that shows up in some, some of the women you work with? <laughs> you know, almost instantly, um, because I like to be transparent. And so a lot of times when I'm working with the ladies, like I'm transparent um, and telling them my experience and the steps that I took in my journey um, and what that looked like to overcome it. And so, you know, nine times out of 10, once we, once we really delve into, um, you know, which category do you fall into the superior or the inferior, it's like a light bulb, you know, just comes on for them and things start to click. And so before we even get off of our first call, like they're already changing the the words that they say to themselves, you know? And and sometimes it's not even about, it's not necessarily about the action that they're taking, but it's about how they're internalizing what we've just, you know, talked about on the first call and just 
how their appearance looks. Like I remember one girl I was on the call with and when we first started the call, you know, just her demeanor was slouched over. Um, when she was sharing with me, she wasn't confident. Um, she was talking very low, you know. So those are those 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 are those are traits, right? Of like, okay, you don't really believe in yourself, you're not confident in the words that are coming out of your mouth. But by the end of the call, like she was smiling and her eyes started to glow and her shoulders started to rise. And so that is that first step is that no, you know, we haven't even really talked about the actions that she's going to implement into her day-to-day life, but just to see how it affects her internally and how it's affecting her outward appearance just from that call alone, the first call alone. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. And I'm sure you don't dig into because I'm I'm wondering about environment, how environment plays into that. Because I feel like some of my own imposter was I, I was around a lot of people who made me feel a certain way, you know, um, made me feel like I had those um limitations and I saw how separating myself and not like ending relationships, but separating myself from sitting people and groups. Um, it helped me see some of my strengths and then realize some of my potential. So I wonder if environment comes up in your work, you know, the people we choose to have in our lives and you know, people we value their their words because we believe they know us more than we know ourselves. You know, yeah. so I, I just wonder how how does all of that play into that work? Yeah, you know, environment is super important for sure. Um, and so one of the things, you know, I do ask my clients, um, where are you spending? most of your waking hours? Where are you spending most of your time? Because if the place where you are spending most of your your time makes you feel stupid or inept, then your self-confidence is bound to suffer, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And that's just the reality of it is that you really have to make sure that you're placed in environments of of people who have a good self-image about themselves. Because if you are placed around other people who have a bad self-image about themselves, um, then that's just, you know, it's going to rub off on you. It's inevitable not to, you know what I'm saying? Like get that energy to rub off on you. And, um, you know, there's also for women, going back to women in society, like there's so much that, systemic oppression has placed on us as women, you know, in society. Um, Like I'll talk about a couple of different researches really quickly. Um, Like there was one research where they did play pairs for kids as young as two and a half years old, right? And it was play pairs of boys and girls. And what they showed is that whenever the little boys would protest for someone to stop, all the little boys would stop. But then when the girl would protest and say stop, then the boys would keep doing it. Um, And so that was the study from about two and a half years old. Then they did another study for kids around between the ages of about eight to 11. And they did a collaborative science project where teams consisted of one boy and three girls. And what they showed is that the little girls in the group deferred to the boy And the boy spoke twice as much as all the girls combined. 
And then when the group was reversed and there was one girl and three boys, what they found is that the boys ignored and insulted the little girls. So jump ahead to adulthood and this pattern continues. Um, And the thing is, it's like when your input and questions are dismissed, then of course your self-confidence is going to decline. And so then that's where you start to devalue yourself. And then it's harder to take yourself seriously when others around you don't. And also I was reading something and it said that, you know, being female means you and your work automatically stand a greater chance of being ignored, discounted, trivialized, devalued, or otherwise taken less seriously than a man's. And so going back to environment, you know, one of the things, the reality is that we spend most of our waking hours at work. And so I ask my clients, does your workplace nourish your intellect or does it feed your insecurities? And so we've got to first start there and acknowledge, okay, eight hours out of the day, 40 hours out of the week, am I getting nourished positively or am I getting nourished negatively? And then we've got to try to figure out how to change that environment around us. Oh my God, that's, that's brilliant. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a message. It is. <laughs> <laughs> it is in itself. Yeah and, I, yeah, and I love that you talked, you know, we talked about the environment and also that you brought up the systematic oppression part because we cannot ignore that. We cannot ignore that. Yeah. So is there a cure? Is, is there a cure? Is it something we work with? Is this something we capitalize on when it shows up? (laughs) What do you say to your clients? You know, um, so I never say, okay, there's a cure because since there's really no actual, you know, diagnosis for imposter syndrome, then they're like, well, you can't really say there's a cure for it because there's, it's not really, you know, a disability or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Um, but there are ways in which you can manage it. And You know, the first thing that I always tell people is that we've got to bring awareness to it. Um, And once you're aware of it, so like now, you know, people are starting to talk about imposter syndrome. Um, And so now that there's awareness to it, now that you know what it is, now you need to call it out. So whenever you start to give those limiting thoughts to yourself, you need to call it out and be like, no, you know what? That's my imposter syndrome, speaking those different things. And it's important for us to continue talking about imposter syndrome um, because studies reveal that those of us who experience imposter syndrome, we keep it a secret within ourselves. But they're learning that once people start to share their experiences with imposter syndrome, then other people start to come out and say, oh my gosh, I have that same issue. So a lot of times we just feel like we're the only ones that are dealing with this situation when in fact there's so many of us dealing with it, right? Yeah, Um, so many. um, And then the next part to that is after awareness and calling it out, we have to to learn how to um, not internalize those thoughts, feelings, or lies, and we have to detach ourselves from it. So just again, going back to 
the systemic oppression part of it, like all the lies that have been placed on women that, you know, we can't have success in a family, you know, that we have to put a, a ceiling and a cap on on our achievements and we have to play small. Um, don't don't eternalize those thoughts and feelings and lies. And one of the ways that um, I work with my clients on doing that, I actually got it from... Um, Dr. Valerie Young, she actually wrote a book called um, The Secret Thoughts of Successful Women, Why Capable People Suffer from the Imposter Syndrome and How to Thrive in Spite of It. And um, Mm -hmm. so the first part um, to detaching that I use with my clients comes from her book. And she says that you need to ask yourself four different sentences. And the four different sentences are, whenever I'm in a situation where I'm blank, fill in the blank, I usually experience the feelings of blank. And then the negative voices in my head start saying blank. And what I typically do is blank. So I'll give you an example for me when I first filled this in. I said, whenever I'm in a situation where I'm afraid, I usually experience feelings of unbelief. The negative voices in my head start saying, you will look and sound dumb. You're not capable. You don't have what it takes. And what I typically do is freeze and not do anything. (laughs) And, you know, when we actually like put truth to what is the situation and what, what are your behaviors in this situation, it really allows me to then open up from the client's experience and really just start to break that down. And then the next part to that, that she says is that now you need to think about how you would like this new, confident, non-imposter to behave in that same situation by answering a different set of questions. And it's, what self-affirming things would I rather feel? What would I like the new positive voices in my head to say? And what would I rather do in this situation? So for me, what self-affirming things would I rather feel? I'd rather feel confidence, belief, and fearlessness. What would I like the new positive voices in my head to say? I want them to be like, girl, you got this. You're more than capable, you know? (laughs) And then um, what would I rather do in this situation? And my answer to that was, I want to go for it. I would want to go for it. And so um, after I do those things, then we talk about accountability partners, getting people who can hold you accountable, who are aware that, okay, yeah, you experienced some some issues with imposter syndrome. And I know for me, I have a really good support group. I call them my entourage of people who hold me mm-hmm. accountable. Um, I mean, even the past couple of weeks where I've people have someone, people have reached out to me asking me to submit proposals to talk about imposter syndrome. And I've literally mm-hmm. told my cousin, like, no, nah, I don't think I'm gonna do that one. And I'll make up an excuse. <laughs> and then she'll respond and be like, No, that's your imposter syndrome kicking in. But you know, and every single time, like they call me out on it, you know? And so yeah. I'm like, man, I got it. I was just thinking that this week, I actually submitted a proposal last night for a conference about energy and all that stuff. And I wasn't even going to do that one for a while. And, and, but my cousin was just like, yeah, that's your imposter syndrome kicking in there. And so then the last thing you have to do is you have to change the narrative. You have to change how you speak to yourself um, because mm-hmm. words are powerful. 
And the more that you keep speaking those negative things about yourself, then you're going to walk in those lights, you know? And so one of the things, you know, talking about one of my clients and how she was, you know, her her, her eyes started to glow and her shoulders started to lift up. um, It's because before I get off of the call with them, we talk about, okay, what affirmations are you going to speak to yourself every single day? And a lot of the times it's the affirmations are coming from facts you know, because I want them to list out what accomplishments have you achieved, you know? And then from there, they're going to be affirming themselves based off of those accomplishments. And so, um, yeah, those are just kind of like some small tips, but of course we go, you know, we dive into it a lot deeper. Yeah. I honestly, I love starting off with affirmations. Um, it's my, and I was just actually speaking to my sister about it last night. Um, for a while I had them on my my bathroom mirrors, yeah. my car dashboard. Yeah. Like, you have to speak those things to yourself, especially when there are not a lot of people around you right. pouring that into you. Right. So I, I, I love that. I, I really love. Yeah, that. and it was funny. That's I was, I, I was listening to a friend last night, and he was saying how his wife told him that the origins, the origins of words were to create. You know, and and if you're a spiritual person, I'm a spiritual person in terms of, you know, I'm Christian and read the Bible. And it was just like, that's kind of what God said. He was like, let there be light. And there was light, you know, let there be water and there was water. And that was the the origin of words. It was to create. And so I've asked myself this time and time again, what kind of woman am I creating with my words? Am I creating a powerful woman? Or am I creating a pitiful woman? And um, one of my mentors said a quote that I live by, and it's all over my house. And it says, I can be powerful or I can be pitiful, but I can't be both. Mm -hmm. And so which way are your (laughs) words taking you? Yeah. They're about to be powerful. Yeah, Yeah. they've got to. Yeah. Yeah. And oh my goodness, like you're speaking to me because I experienced... um, I had a few, I had a few moments of that, like that this mm-hmm. year. Of course, we're starting the podcast. I mean, I sat on that for a few months before I, I took action. And one of the things I told myself, actually, I decided to begin the plan, I think the final days of 2020. And I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to do that. And I started reaching out, you know, I, and the thing about me is I am, I ask for help. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if if I'm coming into a new space, I build a team, mm-hmm. right? I have people that's going to help me realize the vision, you know? So I immediately started building that team. I know I need, I know I, I didn't have time. I mean, of course I, I work. <laughs> it's not a full-time job. Mm-hmm. I needed a producer. I, right. I wanted to get someone to do the graphics and, someone for music and all of those things. And I, I worked really hard to connect with people that understood that. Um, and, and that was that. With the the practice, I mean, that was a whole other ball game. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a, you know, legitimate business. So I had to get all of those things in order. And, and I had to believe that I could do it. Yes. You know, and the thing I think that brought up a little bit of the imposter syndrome for me was tapping into spaces that I've never mm-hmm. seen some of the people around mm-hmm. me tap into. Mm-hmm. So it was lonely. It was isolating. It was like, okay, well, 
I'm going to do this and see where it goes. Yep. You know, and I also with me, I'm not really attached to an outcome. Mm-hmm. I would do something and I've had failures and I've embraced them um, and, you know, worked myself back up. You know, I like to call it my my bounce back. Um, and I embrace that. Mm-hmm. I embrace that. And that's something about me that I really, I'm not afraid to fail. I'm not. And um, I think that's something too that has really helped me achieve some of the things I've been able to achieve. And then recently I experienced it again because I was submitted my first proposal for a sponsor. And I was like, Hi, oh, congrats. How much, <laughs> how much is someone willing to sponsor me? And I was like, you know what? Let me reach out to some seasoned people yeah. and get some feedback. And that's the thing. I, I find people who do some of this. Mm-hmm. I, I, I have a community. Mm-hmm. I've always had, I've always created some of that for mm-hmm. myself. Mm-hmm. And I was able to get support. And then the proposal was approved. Wow. And, wow. <laughs> you know, so there are lots of things that I've been really pushing myself mm-hmm. into lately and I'm constantly just checking in with, yeah. you know, that imposter and yeah. working with mm-hmm. it. Um, and like you said, believing the facts. Like, yeah, I've been able to like check the track record. Yeah, check the track <laughs> you know, like For sure. Yeah, like I've been able to do some of this. So why not? Why, why wouldn't I continue to do that? But also I want to feel, I don't want to feel like I'm always chasing something. Mm-hmm. You know, that's also one of my struggles. I don't want to feel like I I have to keep pursuing something. I mean, I'm satisfied. Mm-hmm. But like you said in your mm-hmm. <laughs> in your TED talk, I'm not gonna put a cap yeah. on how much I exactly. can learn. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and so you've said <laughs> so much. And one of the things is I feel like for people like us who are ambitious and who were destined for greatness, we're always going to be in the pursuit of something. You know, um, John Maxwell always says that he's like, if you're breathing, you should be in the pursuit of something, you know? And sometimes it's probably not to the level that it, 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 it will have to be like when you're, you were, when you were in your startup. But once you reach a level of success, then you're always, most ambitious people, they're going to, they're going to aspire to attain the next level of success, you know? So I I would say, you know, it's definitely great to always feel like you're in the pursuit of something because then what that says to me is that you want more out of, you. there's more that you can give and you know that there's more that you can give. And we yeah. understand that our impact is not just for us and our impact is not just for our family yeah. and the legacy that we're creating mm-hmm. for our family. But our mm-hmm. impact is to help people outside of our realm of what we can even imagine, you know? Um, yeah. And something that I always enjoy about Joe Maxwell is he's like, you know, is and, and when we say we're in the pursuit of something, we're not saying, hey, we're looking for money and we want more money. Mm-hmm. Because what he yeah. says is that if you become a person of value, then the money will follow. And so yeah. what I hear when I mm-hmm. when I hear pursuit is it's like, okay, I've done this thing and it has been valuable to this group of people. Now, yeah. how can I build on that and create more value and go and impact more people? So I think that if we are ambitious people, we're always going to be um, on the pursuit because we're always looking for ways to impact more lives. 
Mm-hmm. You know, that is so real. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that speaks to my next journey because I recently added, um, well, I'm adding end of life consulting to my business. Nice. And it's, it's something that I've always been so intrigued okay. by. Um, when it comes to death, I'm very logical, practical, mm-hmm. all of these mm-hmm. things. And I'm like, this is the place where I feel like I can do good work and work with families yeah. to create, you know, a bit of an end of life plan mm-hmm. and, and start discussing some of their fears and philosophies about death. Yeah. And and for me, that was like, well, and like you said, it's not the money, it's knowing that I there are other areas that I'm I'm great exactly. at. Exactly the things that I'm mm-hmm. good at and, and I want to tap into right. that. I want to reach more people. Right. And the whole idea of consulting is because I don't want it to be limited to states. I want to be able to work mm-hmm. with people worldwide, mm-hmm. um, you know, eventually, mm-hmm. you know, so that's also an- another thing <laughs> I'm working on. Um, but yeah, yeah. A lot of what you said really speaks to the experience I'm having in my life right now. <laughs> well, that's great. It's and, like, okay, we're just in yeah. perfect alignment with each other <laughs> on this conversation. And you know, yeah. one thing that I, that I heard you speak about too is just about, you know, entering rooms where a lot of the times there are not a lot of other people who look like you. And that is something that is very, very important with imposter syndrome as well, is that that's the reality is that, you know, when you, the is for women, the higher up that you go in the corporate ladder, or the higher up that you go, you know, maybe in your business and all that type of stuff, the less and less that you'll start to see women, you know, at those levels. And so again, that's why we start to ask those questions. Well, do I really belong here? Like, Am I deserving of this? Am I doing too much? Yeah, right. (laughs) Am I doing too much? Okay, maybe I should play small because there's no other women here. So maybe there's nowhere for me to fit in, you know? And um, then, you know, we talk about women and then we've got minority women, you know? And then that's an even smaller, you know, uh, space, you know, for (laughs) Black women, our Latina women, our Asian women, you know? Mm -hmm. So it, 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 it creates almost this sense of like, okay, it's not attainable, um, for us to be in these particular areas. And that's why representation matters, you know? And I always go to studies because I don't want people to think like, okay, she's just talking out the side of her head. But it's like, no, there have been studies that have shown this. And like, there was even a couple of studies that I love or one study in particular that just talked about single sex schools. Um, So it talked about Mm -hmm. girls who were in all girls schools, how they had Mm -hmm. higher career aspirations than both boys and girls in their co that were in co-ed schools. And then Mm -hmm. it also showed it for women who um, went to all women colleges. Um, They were more likely to have higher self-esteem and more intellectual Mm -hmm. self-confidence than their counterparts at co-ed institutions. And then when we talk about about HBCUs. It increases by that as well. And so, you know, it's so important that representation matters um, in education. Representation matters in the professional arena. Representation matters in the entrepreneur arena because women need to see other women killing it and killing it in life with no ceiling, and having it all, having the family, having the, 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 the you know, I'm not going to say perfect marriage because, you know, but having the marriage that's amazing, right? Having their dream marriage. And something else that I heard you talk about was just that, 
you're a go-getter, you know? And a lot of times people will say, well, imposter syndrome is nothing but low self-esteem. No, 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 no. No, it's not. Because if you had low self-esteem, you wouldn't have reached out to those sponsors. If you had low self-esteem, you wouldn't have reached out to those producers for your podcast. You know, if you had low self-esteem, you would now be trying to expand your business in the services that you provide. So the difference between imposter syndrome and, 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 and low self-esteem is that when you have low self-esteem, you stay in that ceiling, you stay, you know, in that pitiful state. But when you have, when you're just struggling with imposter syndrome, you're powerful. You, you start to um, embrace your power, but you don't believe it within yourself. And so that's one of the things that I always tell my ladies is that um, your success in life will never outgrow your self-image. And so I tell them, think about everything that you've accomplished up to this level and you experience imposter syndrome. Once we take that lid off and once we change that narrative and build that self-belief in yourself, there's no telling where you can go. You're speaking to me. (laughs) (laughs) I hope someone could relate because you're speaking to just everything that I have been working on and talking to my own therapist. Yeah. So yeah. Thank you so much for for blessing our audience. You're welcome. uh, Thank you for having me. I was so excited. (laughs) (laughs) But let's talk about your business because I want you to, to, you know, also share a little bit about if you can share quickly about the birth story and um, some of the services you offer and, you know, how our audience can connect with with that. Yes, for sure. So um, sure refinement, um, you know, you heard me talk about my little cousin, my little cousin and I, um, she's 24, I'm 34. We actually went into business together um, just because we both, you know, have experiences with imposter syndrome. We both um, are still, you know, loving this journey of life that we are going on. But we were like, man, how can we help empower other women? And so, you know, um, as I was preparing for my TEDx talk, we we just came up with sure refinement and um sure is actually an acronym and it stands for self unbelief rooted energy um because we believe that if your energy is rooted in unbelief then it's always going to reflect in how you think see and what you say about yourself so um at sure refinement what we do is we help women develop that self belief self-worth and self-love within themselves. Um, And so we're actually doing a revamping of the business. But um, what we have, some of the services that we offer are we do um, one-on-one empowerment sessions. We also do group empowerment sessions. Um, We... um, we do workshop trainings with corporations, just talking about, okay, what are some things within your system that are creating limiting beliefs for women, for women of color, for minority women? Um, and then we just um, also just do um, just general speaking engagements as well um, for women talking about the three things that we believe in, which are self-belief, self-love, and self-worth. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. So powerful. So powerful. I love that. How many sessions would you say? Because I heard you say earlier, like typically after that first call, you start seeing some change in Mm -hmm. in your client's mindset. Mm -hmm. Um, How many sessions do you often recommend to actually 
see some of that come to fruition? So honestly, it just varies um, because I'll okay. do a consultation with them um, first. And then um, based off of the consultation, I'll actually tell them, okay, if I feel like you would benefit from one-on-one sessions or if you want to do the group session. So I, I just, I let them okay. know, okay, here's what you would get from the one-on-one. Here's what you would get from the group. Um, so it's really just like once I do that consultation, I can tell like, okay, maybe the four-week program would be best for you or maybe um, an eight to 12-week program would be best. Okay. I love that. And with pricing and all that, is that on the website or do they contact you um, based on, I guess, what they need to Yes. Yes. So you could just reach out to me mm-hmm. and yeah, we'll let you know based off of what services I feel like would be best for you. Then I'll give you a pricing the layout of that. Awesome. Any final words for our audience? You know, if I could just say anything else, I would just say, remember to change the narrative that you say to yourself. Remember that you belong. Um, You know, you weren't placed in that room because of affirmative action or anything else. It's because you belong. And always, always, always take action and never let fear consume you. I love that. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) Yeah. To our audience, what they can, um, you know, how they can schedule an appointment with you and how they can find you online. Yes, for sure. So KB mm-hmm. at surerefinement.com or um, you can reach out to me on my social media page, which is Instagram, which is um, at surerefinement underscore. Um, or you can go on my website and if you actually select um book a free consultation, you can um, sign up there and I'll be able to get in touch with you from there. And my website is just sheerrefinement.com. Thank you so much, Brianna. And I really enjoyed it. And I know when I spoke with you, when I spoke with you yesterday, I was like, this is going to be an emotional episode for me because it really taps onto some of my most um, sensitive areas. <laughs> So I really appreciate you just, you know, speaking some of those words and sharing that with our listeners and our audience. Yes, thank you. I know when you told me that, I was like, no, friend, don't be emotional. We got this. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, thank you. Thank you for just giving me the opportunity to speak to your listeners. And um, I hope that I've, you know, at least helped shed some light on someone and that they're going to get up and be a go-getter and crush their goals and dreams today. Alrighty. Well, once again, thank you so much. And I look forward to running with you soon. Ma'am. <laughs> well, you got your running shoes. Now you just got to meet me. At I the got track. my running shoes. <laughs> yes. I'm meeting you at a white rock whenever you're there. Yes, so I'm looking forward to running to it. by the lake. <laughs> Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you would like to support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on socials, and leave us a rating and review. To catch all the latest from me, you can check out our new website at www.sexualspace.com or you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Her Sexual Space and Her Sexual Space Podcast. Thanks again. And I'll see you next time. Bye.
This episode has been sponsored by Simple Practice, the leading practice management platform for private practitioners everywhere. More than 100,000 professionals use Simple Practice to power telehealth sessions, schedule appointments, file insurance claims, market their practice, and so much more, all on one HIPAA-compliant platform. Get your first $100 towards your first month of Simple Practice when you sign up for an account today. This exclusive offer is valid for new customers only. Go to www.simplepractice.com slash hersexualspace to learn more.